You are listening to Mountain Bike Radio. Hey gang, it's Mark from The Last Aid Station here on Mountain Bike Radio. A very special edition of The Last Aid Station today. I'm not going to be doing any race reports, race reviews, highlights, anything like that. I'm only going to be having you listen to an interview I conducted just three days ago. There's been a lot of controversy about this event. There's been a lot of hubbub, rumors, innuendo, false information out there, um, Topics, conversation on the internet boards and forums and Facebook and heck, even among um, in bike shops and, and among your friends. And of course, I'm talking about the manga. Back in early May, a press release came out about the uh, the manga itself announcing the event as a 1,000 kilometer off road race, nonstop across a portion of South Africa. $10,000 entry fee, um, $1 million prize per $750,000 to the winner. And then the rumors started. Rumors about, okay, this is a bikepacking event. Um, how can it be bikepacking if you're going to um, allow drafting? And there's portions that allow drafting. And um, how are they going to, how are they going to keep people from cheating? $750,000 is such a big amount of money. How are they going to keep that from happening? Is how can that prize purse be legitimate? It's by far the richest off-road race in the history of mountain biking. And all of a sudden it's, it's in an, it's in an event that no one's ever even heard of or have the promoters really have never really put on any other types of events of this scale. So. What I did was, is in um, late May, I actually got in touch with Michael Griffin, who is the race promoter and the CEO of the Munga. Um, he is also part of a group of South African businessmen who are actually behind the finances and the, the nitty gritty of the race, putting the race together and um, getting all of the information out there as a business. And so I asked him, I said, can we have you, somebody on? I want to ask the questions. I want to make sure that we understand what this race is, what this race isn't, as far as the prize purse, the entry fees, who do you expect to attend, things like that. And he said, I can do you one better. He goes, I can actually have Alex Harris on, and Alex Harris being the race director of the event and also the guy that kind of came up with this. This is his brainchild of this event. And he got me the information in uh was I was finally able to get in touch with Alex or kind of in touch with Alex just prior to the start of the tour divide. And Alex was racing the tour divide. I think I actually finally got all of his information and his contact stuff just 48 hours before that race was um, the tour divide was supposed to start from Banff. I felt really, I'm, I'm a racer myself. I felt really guilty contacting this guy when he's preparing for this epic tour divide race this year. And, and so what I did was like, I, I, uh, contacted Michael Griffin and said, listen, I, I feel bad getting in touch with him. He's got other things that he needs to be planning on. He's got other things I'm sure on his mind. 
let's talk about this later. The race isn't until the fall. There's not going to be anything coming out now because your race director is participating in the tour divide. And, and he uh, agreed. And I think Alex was kind of grateful for that too. With that said, after the tour divide, we were hit and miss trying to catch each other. We finally were able to catch up uh, last week. We've set up an interview and actually um, just four days ago, uh, three days ago, I was able to finally get Alex Harris on the line and ask him all the questions. He agreed to let me ask him anything, ask him all the hard questions. Entry fees. Why are they so steep? Is the prize purse legitimate? How did you come up with this? What is the race? What isn't the race? And I think you'll find out that everybody says it's a bike pack race. Well, not really. It's a, it's a, an, an ultra endurance race. Well, yeah, kind of. It's self-supported. Well, yeah, but not completely. It's not bikepacking because there's no navigation. I mean, there's going to be marked course. So it's, it's, um, and what you'll find out is, is that this is the brainchild of Alex and he, he's taken all the best elements or what he finds to be the best elements of all the different events in mountain biking, whether it be bikepacking or duo racing or stage racing or ultra endurance racing and combined them in all those best elements into one event, what he feels would be the one event. The cool thing about that is, is that you're going to have the best guys from all those different segments of mountain bike racing and off-road racing and even road racing coming together for this one event. and. You'll probably find, especially this year, um, we talk about it in the interview that this race will is going to, it's, it's completely undetermined how this race will turn out. Who is going to be favored? Who is not going to be favored? Who is going to do well? Who won't do well? Will the traditional guys be way out front? And then the bikepacking guys who can, you know, do the sleep deprivation thing, will they be catching up? It's going to be a very interesting race. We hear it. The last aid station and on mountain bike radio will be following along. We hope to have these guys on again as the race approaches. Once he has some confirmed teams, there's tons of racers, um, announcing themselves for, uh, the races. I can't really disclose any, but if you're following, um, mountain biking and even the NUE series, you'll know of one or two that have already stated their intentions of competing in the race. There's also quite a few Europeans that are going to be racing. And even on the roadside, there's going to be quite a few on the roadside that uh, may throw their hat into the ring. It's going to be very interesting to say the least, but sit back, enjoy this uh, interview with Alex Harris, who is a former um, mountain guide, a adventure racer, bike packer, mountain bike racer, um, and his brainchild for this event. And I hope you guys enjoy the interview. I had a chance to get up with Alex Harris, who's part of the team putting together the Munga. And of course, um, unless you're sleeping um, in the desert under a rock, six feet under, um, you've definitely heard of the Munga, especially in the endurance mountain bike world. But there's there's all kinds of rumors out about the event. There's all kinds of... um, um, fall, actually some false information out there about the event, lots of questions about the event. And so what I did was I went straight to the source. I brought on Alex Harris. And if you follow bike pack racing, Alex is quite the adventurer, not only in bike pack racing, um, does all kinds of, um, the ultra endurance racing. Um, he is the race director. Is that correct, Alex? Yes, that's correct, Mark. Okay, cool. Um, So he is the race director of the Munga, um, and we're going to talk a little bit about the team that um, put this, this, putting this race together. But got a chance to bring the race director of the Munga on, and we can get all those questions out of the way, explain what the race is and how it all came about. And so uh, without further ado, welcome Alex Harris to uh, 
the last aid station here on Mountain Bike Radio. Thank you, Mark. It's great to be chatting to you at last. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, I, we were going to try to get up with you just before Tour Divide, and then um, I felt kind of guilty asking you to do the do that like in the three days or four days before. So um, I'm glad we finally got in touch. Um, we can get some of this information out to people. Maybe you can even talk a little bit about um, what kind of entries and stuff we have so far. But sure. give us where where did you come from? How did you? get involved in mountain biking or mountain bike racing or adventure racing? How did, how did this whole thing evolve for you in your life? Yeah. So look, I mean, it's a, it's a long process. You know, the, the Munger idea as a, as a specific entity, the evolution of that is, is, is a long story. And if I go 20 years, my, my kind of vocation started in Johannesburg, a city in South Africa, I returned back from an Everest trip in 96. We'd failed. I led a small team without Sherpas and oxygen, and, I mean, we just got our butts kicked. But we got back with some credibility. We'd survived the kind of most fatal year in its history at the time. And so we began guiding. A small of us, a small group of us got together and, and uh, started guiding people up some of the easier mountains of the seven. And that formally exposed me to uh, the outdoors. And uh, as part of my kind of personal training regime for these expeditions, I would uh, I would tend to gravitate towards cycling. Uh, you know, I was never much of a runner. And in those early or sort of late mid to late nineties, we, we began adventure racing and exposed to the multi-day form. Uh, a mixed group, so opposite sex. You've got to train all the disciplines, time on water, time on your feet. And, and so it just became harder and harder to do that, and I was spending more and more time on the bike. And after a South Pole expedition, a friend of mine had raced the Freedom Challenge, which is kind of South Africa's version of the Tour de Vite. And she said, you know, I should give it a go. I've, I've got this unusual skill set that's probably suited to that. In other words, cold skills, endurance, uh, map reading, good navigation. And I ended up winning the Freedom that, that year. That was 2010. And and I guess from that it showed me that, uh, you know, I, I did have an unusual skill set. And so my appetite for uh, that side of bike racing and endurance, ultra-endurance mountain biking uh, really kicked off. And, and that was kind of 2010. So, you know, that's sort of the, the mountain biking background uh, from my perspective, if you want. Right. From my perspective, I first heard about you from Tour Divide. Um, last year, you had a very impressive run at it. How did you end up coming over to do the Tour Divide? Just because it was the next big thing? Yeah, I think so. I, I had raced Freedom three years in a row, and I had great results. I, I won it the first couple of years. My second race, I set a new course record, and then I, I, I had uh, my third race. I, I came second by a few hours, but it was still my fastest time ever. And so three years on the Freedom, you know, the Freedom is South Africa's version uh, to Tour Divide. It's the middle of winter, so it's it's a much colder race than the Tour Divide. And I'd kind of come out of that, and I, I was really just tired of cold racing. And I, I guess the next logical progression, if you wanted to really test yourself, was the Tour Divide, being the granddaddy of these uh, sort of ultra-endurance races, you know. Different skill set. Same time of year, ironically, Northern Hemisphere, obviously, it meant a summer, uh, a summer race. Much longer, but not as technical. And so it was just a, altogether a harder challenge, and, and I think one that made uh, a logical uh, uh, progression from Freedom Challenge. So explain to us when you started having the idea for the Munga, or was it somebody else's idea and you you were 
you just wanted to jump on board that. So I have to go back probably to uh, South Pole. I mean, there's, there's a few themes here that might seem unrelated, but they actually, in, in a very subtle way, uh, worked together. And the end result of that was the manga. So we, we, we're talking 2007, 2008, Sibu Sisu Vilani, uh, a black South African friend of mine, him and I walked to the South Pole unsupported, and it took us 65 days and was miserable all the time. I mean, we just battled with weather. And leading up to that point, I had a, a wealthy, a very wealthy South African friend, and uh, he'd become a friend over mountains. I'd taken him up, up a bunch of mountains. And he'd always make a harebrained bet with me. In other words, you know, make it to the top of that hill in 20 minutes and I'll buy you a Ferrari, you know, as an example. And I'd always fall a few minutes short. He was good for the Ferrari, but he had a knack of working out just just how much uh, I was out. So I never got the Ferrari, but the idea of uh, money as a motivator was was planted. So now we South Pole and we walk into the American base at the South Pole. And I remember thinking it was January the 12th, 2008 was the official opening. We had about gosh, I don't know, 300 kilometers to go. And a thought suddenly occurred to me, you know, if my friend phoned me up now and said, uh, if I make it there by the date, he'll give me a million rand, for example. And, of course, he never phoned me up. But I, I, I felt myself, and these are the crazy thoughts you have when you walk into the South Pole. I, I reconciled the belief that if there was a big amount of money, I would force myself to dig deep now and make it to the South Pole. Anyway, we, we got to the South Pole in about day uh, 17th of January. So we missed that by about a five days. But the seed was sown. Fast forward now a couple of years on the Freedom Challenge, and you race the Freedom. Uh, my first 2010 was 14 days to do about 2,300 kilometers, middle of winter. And, and the prize for reaching the Freedom is a blanket. It's a, it's a particular type of ethnic blanket they, they make in South Africa. It's a very, very warm blanket, but it's a, it's a blanket nonetheless, and it's the same blanket that the guy who comes uh, last gets. So it's, it intrigued me that guys would dig deep for nothing more than a blanket. You know, In other words, the idea of no prize money. Fast forward another year, and I'm planning an, a crossing of the Arabian Desert, the empty quarter, and that we crossed last year unsupported. Uh, three of us walked 40 days pulling a cart with our supplies. And in the wake of that, I started thinking about a million dollars as a figure because I, I, I looked at our route. It was about 1,200 kilometers. And I thought, gosh, you know, we ended in Dubai. This is a part of the world that uh, they have a lot of money. Wouldn't it be great if we put up a million-dollar prize money for a group of guys to ride across the Arabian Desert? So another seed was sown. My background, incidentally, my undergrad is in sports psychology, so I've always been personally motivated by this dynamic around what truly uh, what truly motivates people. What are the set of circumstances? A lot of my corporate stuff and training is based on that. And then, of course, last year I raced the Tour Divide, and there you get to the border. If you get there in the daylight, you get a handshake from the border guard, and again, no prize money. And I'd also raced a couple of epics, uh, sort of the, the conventional stage racing. And there they only offer $20,000. So I, I, I couldn't understand nor reconcile why mountain biking as a sport had virtually no prize money. And all of it sat on the one side of the race continuum. In other words, the very predictable stage race uh, that really 
preferences the elite pro that can race five or six hours nonstop, but really doesn't offer anything for the guy that has a different skill set. And so in the course of last year, all of these ideas came together, and I approached a South African business. Uh, they run a, an iron ore mine in the middle of the Cape. And incidentally, this mine has a railway that runs almost a 1,000 kilometers, and next to it is a railway line, <clears throat> sorry, an access road. And I thought, wouldn't it be a great idea to race uh, from this mine called Session all the way to the coast and for a million rand. And we approached the sponsors. They loved the idea, <clears throat> but we could never get permission uh, from Transnet, which is a local ex-parastatal because they own the access. And that race, the idea of that race was called the Iron Monger, M-O-N-G-E-R, because the, the main sponsor would have been an iron ore company. Anyway, that idea fell through, and we, we kept Iron Munger, and then we dropped Iron, and then it became just the Munger. And then the format changed, and so the ideas, the seeds that I've shared over the last sort of five minutes, over my last 10 years, those kind of coalesced about 15 months ago into the current format of the Munger, M-U-N-G-A. In other words, a thousand kilometer nonstop race starting inland, ending somewhere iconic near the coastline. And instead of a million rand, a million US dollars. In other words, money that really would attract foreigners and would not uh, just be something that would be local. Yeah, I mean, I can't say, uh, so yes, so one, the, the idea is mine, but it, I didn't wake up one morning and suddenly have this idea. It was kind of the evolution of, of a number of seeds and, and various themes over the last 10 years of my career that kind of came to, to sort of a head in the last 15 months. I hope all of that makes sense. Absolutely, yeah. That makes um, – a, a that's actually a great way to, you know, see how the race came about and the evolution and everything. But um, speaking of the race, what makes yeah. – give what's, give us the format because it, it it the more I looked into it, the more different it is. This is not bikepacking. It is self-supported. This is not – um, stage racing, it's sure. almost bikepacking, but it's duo. So that throws, there's all kinds of elements in this that really there's no other race like it as far as its format goes, but it's got the best of a lot of other racing in it. So just explain the format. Sure. So Mark, you know, when I sat down with an idea, when, when I asked myself the question, why are races like the Tour Divide and the Freedom Challenge so fringe? A lot of it has to do with the format. In other words, it's those are too long. So by being 10 plus 20 days, one, you limit not only the number of participants, but also the number of potential eyeballs, so the, the public that's going to watch it at home, and consequently the number of potential sponsors involved. And this is not a, hear me out, it's not a right or wrong thing. It's just the nature of the beast. So if, if I, I use that continuum at the, the start of our conversation to describe bike racing. So on the one end of the continuum, you've got the conventional stage race like the Cape Epic, the Joburg to see. In fact, South Africa has 61 or 62. So we, we're kind of at the forefront of those stage races. Those are very predictable. Five, six hours flat out racing. The format's the same every day. It gets eyeballs, but it also doesn't penetrate Joe Soap because, quite honestly, most of the public aren't interested in mountain biking. There's virtually no prize money. I mean, the richest of those has $20,000. 
Now go to the other side of the race continuum and you've got the fringe stuff like Tour Divide, the Iditarod Invitational, uh, the, the Trans Arizona, the Freedom Challenge. And these are almost extreme in their nature. They require very specific skill sets in terms of navigation, um, long ultra endurance. And the, the fact that they're so long means they limit the number of potential public from watching it. So I looked at a format that had the potential to attract the sponsors, in other words, the eyeballs, and and also to do that, you would have to throw some money in it because, you know, Joe Soap's not going to watch a mountain bike race for the sake of mountain biking, but I'm convinced if you throw the kind of money like a million dollars that the amazing race, uh, Survivor, you, you look at the numbers of eyeballs that these reality shows attract, and, and they attract that because your average person can resonate with that amount of money. They they know what it would do to their lives if, if they had to kind of win it, and so they, they can empathize with the person chasing after it. Combine that in a format that would really test riders. So in my mind, a race like the, the conventional stage racing is not the greatest test because it just tests one ability. Go as fast as you can. Uh, all right, maybe let me be a bit fairer. It also tests technical skills, right? But what about the guy who's got a skill set uh, like a Jay Peterberry, like uh, Heffy Brennan, you know, these Tour Divide riders, Kurt Refschneider? What about those guys who maybe won't go as fast, but they can go for 20 hours without sleeping? And so the 1,000-kilometer five-day format, in my mind, was a point somewhere in the middle of that continuum that combined elements from both sides, elements that appeal to me as a racer, and that I that I think will appeal to a potential Joe public without any knowledge of mountain biking. So that's how the format came about. I, I wanted to create something that that didn't exist, but that had the potential to attract uh, your average public because they watch. I mean, let's be honest. They watch golf or swing a club for millions of dollars. Are you going to tell me that the aesthetics of a group of uh, relatively unathletic golfers swinging golf clubs are that attractive? No, they watch it because of the enormous prize money. So it was a combination of all of those elements. But also, I I've kind of been that underdog. You know, I've been like a, a January racing with you know leaving nothing in the bag and doing it. Or nothing more than the intrinsic, uh, the intrinsic value. Yeah. So I've had a look. I've had guys give me a lot of flack, especially the purists around prize money. But I, I tell you what, you know, it, it's fine saying money's not a motivator when you have a lot of it. But I, I know some of these underdog races personally, and I can tell you they've raced their careers uh, on the fringe for virtually no prize money. They've made principled decisions not to follow the path of conventional bike racing that comes with the caveat of, you know, the the the, the world of performance enhancing drugs. And as a result of that, they've commercially, they've virtually been non-existent. So it was to try and come up with something that rewarded that kind of guy, you know, that rewarded uh, the underdog in, in, in all of us, but in a format that had the, the potential ability to attract an audience of, of uh, eyeballs and, and Joe public and get them involved and get them passionate about uh, mountain biking and ultra-endurance mountain biking. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, it, it, it's interesting. Um, you know, people complain. I mean, some, some of the stuff that people complain about the, you know, the format of the manga is, um, you know, it's not a purist mountain bike race, but I mean, if you actually dig into it or a bike, it's not a purist bike packing race, but if you actually dig into it, um, some of the purest, truly purists of bike packing will tell you you're not supposed to race it. 
I mean, I was supposed to be enjoying the outdoors and things like that. So, I mean, there's, there's always going to be someone that's going to complain about it. Your format is really interesting. It, it drives, it makes people stay, want to stay in touch, makes people want to stay up with what's going on in the race. It's relatively short, um, in that, you know, it's going to, you know, only take whatever, two days, three days, four days, whatever it takes there. But it, it, it's an interest, very interesting format that will bring together. I don't think, the good thing about it is because it's bringing all these elements of other types of racing in, there's no one's going to necessarily have an advantage over it. And that is a cool thing. You're right. You're absolutely yeah. right. It's been – it's virtually impossible for me to predict. Now, so we've got a handful of uh, outright contending teams at the moment, and I cannot tell you who I would put my money on. You know, They come from 24-hour background, adventure racing background, ultra-endurance background, conventional cross-country. You know, But the skill set is – each of them have an advantage in one area and a strong disadvantage in another area. And I think that's why the format for them because it's not an outright uh, cross-country. It's not an outright endurance. Uh, you're going to have to go to pace faster than you would race sort of a, a AZT or, a, you know, a, a Tour Divide. So it's somewhere in, in, in between. That. And because it's never been done, guys are kind of guessing what's the, what's the perfect plan and strategy, what's the perfect team, you know? Right. And so what are the exact, exact, um, not, not, you don't have to dig down into the rule book, but as far as what the rules are, what are, what is, what are the rules? You've got duo teams, correct? Yeah. So when I sat and thought about the sort of rules to, to kind of come up with, I wanted to include what I thought were the most compelling elements of both sides of that continuum again. So, and, and that's why the race exists with bits of both. So, for example, we, we're setting up five race villages. So the route is a set route. You can't just uh, go wherever you want. It's in all probability going to be a GPS route. And that we left open because – and we wanted to get the feedback, and it seems like it's gone down really well. Of course, that's a key in the Tour Divide. You're allowed to use a GPS, whereas the Freedom Challenge, South Africa's race, you, you are not. And it becomes very difficult to police that. So we looked carefully at things we could police, and the things we could not police, we asked ourselves the question, why would we want to pol police that? And if we couldn't find an answer, we uh, we, we included it in, in the scope what you can do so teams all start together the race clock starts uh, on on the particular time and it's non-stop so in that sense it's like the tour divide the race clock finishes at the cutoff which is five days or 120 hours it's a paired race but they are allowed to split up and they're allowed to split up for any distance they want but they have to finish as a pair if they want to contend for the prize money the race villages, which are five, are spread roughly, uh, they equidistant roughly apart. And in that race village, they will have access to food, the ability to sleep if they want, but they don't have to stay there. They can push on. Another interesting rule is that they're allowed to competitively draft or bunch ride up to the first race village, which is roughly 180 to 200 kilometers. From that point on, they no longer allow to competitively uh, draft. And, and that rule exists for two reasons. One, to mitigate the risk of potentially foreign pro teams entering three or four or five teams disguised and colluding to pull one team to the finish line, which would be something that would be very difficult to police. So 
uh, we, 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 we mitigate that simply by saying absolutely no drafting. However, we do think there's a strategic, uh, potential strategic opportunity if you allow drafting up to the first race footage. I think it'll take the competing times between seven and 10 hours to get to that first village. In that section, they have the ability to competitively draft and bunch ride, but they have to make a decision whether they want to put in the extra effort. Because you know what it's like at the start of these races. Guys will gather together and they'll bunch. It's also the easiest part of the terrain. It'll be the quickest ride. So very quickly, guys are going to have to make strategic decisions. Do they put the extra effort and try and stay with a group of guys knowing when they get to the first village, it's game over in in terms of drafting. But other than that, um, the rules really are, are pretty similar to a conventional stage race. So they're going to probably use Garmin. We, we, we'll officially make that announcement, but it's looking like we're going that way. Uh, so they won't have to worry about navigating, um, but they, they will have to think about some other unusual aspects. They're also not allowed outside support. So a similar rule to the Tour Divide, if the route goes through a commercial town, which we haven't announced, they're allowed to make use of anything that's available in that town. As long as no other rider is uh, is, is sort of uh, disqualified, or should I rather say, if it's not preferential, if every other rider has access to it, they're allowed to use it. So what we want to prevent is you know, a guy phoning up a mate of his and saying, meet me at the bottom of this pass at 2 in the morning with a pack of energy stuff, you know. And that's why we're only releasing the route details literally the day before in race briefing. That is the specific route details. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, you said no drafting after that 200K point. Does that yeah. include your duo partner or? No. So it's no competitive drafting. So obviously you and your partner are allowed to, are allowed to draft each other. Okay. Uh, Again, you know, the, the, with all of these decisions, we thought what would be an intuitive, uh, you know, what would I, if I was racing, think would be an, a, a fair call and an, and would even the playing field. And so, you know, you're allowed to draft your guy. Obviously, the riders are going to be using transponders and, tr- and tracking likes, the Tour Divide. So we'll be able to monitor. We've set up a five meter no draft rule. You know, the, the, the rule book does have, uh, some warnings around that. But we've also, there's a lot of dialogue around the spirit of this race and what we're trying to do. We understand that the, the prize money might attract, you know, guys with nefarious intention, but we're actually trying to demotivate that guy from entering in the first place. You know, we're trying to create a dialogue and a community around uh, why this race came about. What type of character and characteristics are we trying to reward? You know, so our underdog price, for example, is exactly around that. Just to try and incentivize guys not to quit, to keep going, to to hang in there. You know, so I mean, there are a lot of unusual. You know, Mark, the truth is, uh, the fact that this has never been done, I, I couldn't go and look at all these races and get a perfect plan. We, I, I've come up with a blueprint that I know will refine over time. And I know we'll make mistakes, and I know, you know, we, we can't keep everyone happy. I mean, guys, because it's so out there, we've had uh, guys saying, well, you need to do this, you need to do that. And, you know, time will tell what the optimal format is, but f- for the moment, it's a format that I think is exciting, not just to a racer, but to someone who is flicking through the channels and who might just have an hour to sit and, and be captivated watching some real athletes chase off the real money. Right. Um, you actually brought up a good point um, when you were talking about, you know, the nefarious um, um, people entering, uh, you know, nefarious intent of people entering this race. And that was yeah. when I when I first heard that it was a self-supported race, you know, which generally to me, th- I think remote 
usually those are very remote races. Um, yeah. Um, but then you throw into that, you know, $750,000 for first place. Yeah. All I, all I can think of, and maybe I'm a bit jaded, but all I can think <laughs> of is that there are, there are going to be a bunch of guys that are going to put more effort into figuring how to cheat the system versus sure. putting the, t the time on the bikes, you know, and figuring out ways to, you know, sure. draft cars or um, sure. anything like that. And that, that was my concern about the, the format itself. Um, other than that, sure. um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't see, I don't see a lot of big deal with um, a lot of the other issues that some people seem to point out. Cause I, now that you've, you know, brought up the whole thing, you know, we're, you're also going to have a, this is going to be a relatively marked course, correct? It's, it's yeah. not, you're not going to be, there's no navigation necessarily, not a ton of navigation necessarily involved here. No. So the, the route will be, as, as I mentioned, predominantly GPS driven and trickier sections will mark, but just to, you know, just on the ability to mitigate uh, the risk of, of, the sort of nefarious component. I mean, we, we recognize that, you know, so I, I recognize by creating something that has the upside uh, that doesn't exist before, you also stretch the continuum in the opposite direction. And so, you know, there's two conversations and two streams of thought we're having. One is to create this community and, and create a lot of strong dialogue against the type of human qualities we're attracting. So with the hope, maybe naively, that we, 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 uh, demotivate that type of guy. However, the second conversation are, and the second stream of thought are very specific, uh, specific things we're doing to, to mitigate real risk. So take the route, for example, the, the specific route details get revealed literally the day before in registration. It's a very remote part of the country. I'd argue it's the most remote part of South Africa the route is going. In terms of anti-doping, we're working closely with SAIDS, which is the South African you know, Institute of Drug-Free Sports, and, and they're obviously affiliated to UCI and WADA. And so we've adopted uh, their code of contact, uh, conduct. Uh, there is going to be specific testing around that. But in all fairness, practically, that's the side of the game that there's not a heck of a lot you can really do. You know, when you get into the specifics of, of testing and biological passports, it, it becomes very difficult. So we've got a stance. We've been vocal about our stance, but we're actually trying to focus more attention on what we're trying to do here and what we're trying to create. We're trying to incentivize guys to go out, train, and train your butts off because, you know, this is a race that's going to actually uh, reward the person who puts time on the bike. Who else is who else is organizing this with you? Obviously, this has been pretty much your baby. Um, yeah. I mean, you're you're the one that really has the you know the experience and has has seen the the all the races that have become components of this race at sure. work and competed in them. But do you got do you have other members of your team that are um, specializing in other parts of this? For sure. Sure. So, I mean, we've got a, so just on, you know, in terms of partners, we've got a group, a, a partnership that's made up of some South African corporates, some private individuals, uh, that are passionate riders themselves, that, that are financial contributors, and then some kind of, uh, ex, uh, sort of government affiliate bodies that, uh, just uh, are incentivized by the opportunity of this race to attract foreign tourists and you know for me uh, that was why the the amount of prize money was necessary so we probably will end up with the majority of entrants this year as uh, south african but in the long term that foreign 
uh, the foreign portion will will definitely in, increase. In terms of logistics, in Bloemfontein, which is a town about four hours south of Johannesburg, and it's pretty much slap bang in the middle of South Africa, and then it heads towards Stellenbosch, which of course is the famous wine country just outside of Cape Town. And so logistically, we're using a group of guys based in Bloemfontein uh, that that are pretty much handling, uh, you know, or, so, you know, I've got, I mean, the short answer is there, there are about kind of four of us full-time based, uh, but actually it's a far bigger team behind the scenes, you know. You know, in some ways our logistics are simpler than a conventional stage race, but in some ways they also more complicated because, you know, ours is like a beast. It begins and it doesn't end for five days, but at least after five days it's over. Who can you tell me – Do you are you willing to give the Volge any uh, teams that are planning on participating? Sure. So I'll tell you. So we've got about six or seven uh, teams that I would say are outright contenders. So right. I would be surprised if I didn't see them in the top ten. Right. Only three of them have been public. Uh, I mean, pretty much all of them have uh, have, have kind of intimated they're going to enter. So let me tell you who has confirmed. Bart Brenchens. Okay. Uh, you know, he's a he's a multiple. I, I'm pretty sure he's won Masters in in the Epic a number of times. Of course, uh, uh, from Holland. Right. Uh, Corey Wallace, Canadian mountain bike champ, has teamed up with a guy called Jason English, uh, world 24 hour champ. Um, they're they're an outright contender. We've got a couple of. Uh, Adventure racing guys, they haven't gone public yet, but I'm, I'm hoping to release their names. And then I've got a guy who's, he, I mean, you'll be able to pick who, who he is. He's a multiple epic winner. Uh, he's super strong. I wouldn't say a Cape epic winner, that is. I wouldn't say he's your typical cross country racer. He, he has a skill set a little bit beyond that. He's confirmed with us that he's entering. He hasn't found a partner yet, and he hasn't started his, uh, his media, so I don't want to release his name. But, I mean, we're hoping by the end of August, maybe in the first sort of week in September, to, in the, at least in the, in the public's mind, uh, have six or seven of those outright teams, uh, you know, uh, public. I'll tell you their challenge. So, for example, the challenge with these guys is, uh, and it's not just limited to, to Bart, is that, they just don't know who is the ideal partner. And so all of these guys we've been dialoguing with, the, the challenge for them is, is to find, you know, so like, for example, your conventional Cape Epic partner, uh, you know, those guys are used to racing six, seven hours. But then you look at a guy who's used to racing stuff like Tour Divide. He's never raced with a partner. That dynamic is, is, is unknown. And so the challenge of finding a partner is unknown. But yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, yeah, within a, a couple of weeks, we'll, we'll have, uh, six teams of, of, uh, high profile guys that, that, that will be allowed to go public with. But yeah, I mean, I, you can, you can look, you can also start Googling and seeing some guys have, uh, have, have been public about it, about their uh -huh. entry, but they, they technically haven't entered with us, but they, they, they're kind of making a, a, a show and dance about it. So I'm not including them yet, obviously. The one person that uh, just comes to mind is, is that, um, uh, Jeremiah Bishop, uh, yesterday won the New Hampshire 100. Um, and yes. in, in doing so, he, he, he mentioned that he was manga training. He won that race, um, yeah. completely self-supported. Um, he took oh, wow. absolutely, he took absolutely nothing from the aid stations. He carried all his own water. Um, so, you know, completing the race in eight and a half hours or so. Now, nowhere near manga distance, but to do eight and a half hours self-supported, 
at the speeds yeah. at which those guys do, pretty impressive. But now, you know, I remember back when the Mungo was first brought out and, you know, publicized and, you know, released out to the world. Jeremiah Bishop had mentioned um, he was looking for a partner in that, and he was asking, you know, all of his Twitter followers and Facebook followers who would be the perfect partners. And partners that were mentioned were all over the board. You know, Jay Peter Vary to, you know, other people like Tinker Juarez, who are, who's actually on his own team. So, I mean, exactly. and that's sure. exactly it. You know, th there's, there, there's a strategy involved there in picking your partner. Do, should you pick somebody who's very equal to you so you are always going the same pace, or do you find someone who has a strength – to your weakness, which then brings up the issue of, okay, you're going to, you know, the faster guy's going to have to pull a lot of the times on the flatter, easier sections. And the, the guy that's used to racing 24, 36, 72 hours in a row is going to be the guy that's really going to have to motivate the guy that's racing, that's used to racing the much shorter distances. So, you know, again, strategy, strategy will play a part. And I think as the race evolves in future years, hopefully, um, yeah, that, some some things will be shown to work, and some things will be shown that that's never worked well. Um, cool. So it would be interesting. It would be very interesting. One other question. Um, the one thing that came up with and has been the heated topic about the manga is uh, the cost of entry. Um, yeah. Th was the cost of entry is the – I'm not trying to get – I'm not trying to ask the, necessarily the, the, the insulting question yeah. to you guys, but is the cost of entry to hopefully eliminate – people that aren't taking it completely serious, you know, that's like, it's like making a very serious, you know, you're making, you're making a commitment when you, when you put in $20,000 for a two man team, or is that, is that trying to absorb some of the costs that are going to be entailed in this event? No. So look, Mark, it's a good question. Um, I mean, first, just your comment about 20,000. I'm hoping you including that travel because obviously 10,000 is for a team of two. So oh, we okay. Say, I thought it was 10,000 a person. Okay. My mistake. No, no, no. Yeah. It's, it's $5,000 a person, okay. uh, a team of two. And you know what? It, it is a big number. Um, and, and we spent a lot of time thinking around this. You know, uh, you've picked up the, there isn't a heck of a lot around our race that, that is familiar. And it's not that we intentionally went out, you know, just to, to to put a crazy number out there. But but in reality, it's a number. It's just a number, and and it's a number that people will get used to. But what I did want to do was I I wanted to make sure that someone who wants to race for this money, because so in our mind, eighty percent of our our entrants are probably going to be the conventional stage racer, the, the executive, the corporate executive that South Africa now has a lot of that will do the Cape Epic, that will do our stage races. They never in it for the prize money, but but they want the war story. Yes. They want to have raced something. And really only fifteen to twenty percent are going to be actually competing for the money. And so uh, the the format is specifically around one, we need an attraction to to draw public. That's the million dollars. But it's only going to be 15 to 20 percent of the guys that will race for that million dollars. And the Joe public are probably going to be watching these guys racing. So those guys, I wanted to know that they were motivated, creative enough to go out and find a sponsor. The same way I found sponsors to go and race the Tour Divide where there's no prize money that there were enough compelling elements to, to warrant them putting a plan together, being creative, getting the entrepreneurial skills, and going and selling the idea on behalf of some sponsors to go and race for this prize money. 
the 80% of the fuel that's going to make the model sustainable because at the end of the day, it has to be sustainable if I'm going to attract foreigners and, and specifically tourists. Those kind of guys, money really isn't that much of an issue. And I say that because my business historically has revolved around providing war stories. You know, we guide people up mountains. We do mountain bike trips around the world. And they tailored to to executives who – who have the money, but they they don't have the time. So they want to know that for their time, they're getting a compelling war story. And, and that's kind of how we put this together, realizing that a small percentage will really be after the money, but it should be a, a strongly motivated bunch, you know, that, that they've gone out there, that they've, they've convinced sponsors, because I know most pros generally won't, uh, you know, have the, the funding. That's typically not how they fundraise, their sponsors, their contracts do. But this is, this has enough compelling elements to motivate them to put a, a plan together, you know. Right. Um, but also, I mean, I know looking back a few years from now, it's, it's going to be a number that people will be more comfortable, uh, uh, looking at. Also, you know, we want to, I, I want to down the line be able to offer different categories of prize money. You know, we've taken a bit of a, a bit of flack that there's no women's prize money. There's no development prize money, which is a big thing in South Africa. And you know, in truth, I'd love to offer these things, but I, I can't put a huge purse on, on, let's say a woman's category when I'm going to have five women showing up, you know, it's, it's, that's not uh, tenable. Down the line, however, this is something I'd love to do. So at the moment, it's a single category. It doesn't preference anyone. And who's to say that a mixed guy-girl team can't win this? You know, this is a format that at the moment no one can be 100% sure. So, yeah, I mean, it's we came about the idea in an unusual way. And, you know, we hope down the line we refine it and we have something that's very compelling. Yep. Um, definitely look forward to, to seeing how it evolves. What is the website? And I'll put that up in the show notes. Um, is it themunga.com? That's it, themunga.com. Yeah, M-U-N-G-A.com. And yes. um, there's a lot of information there. I'm sure as you approach, um, there's going to be even more information um, coming out. Uh, what, what do you guys plan on for coverage of the event? Yeah, Mark, a good question. So, you know, from the start, literally within two or three days, and, and let me just say, we're only three months old, you know, prior right. to the 22nd of May, the manga did not exist. And so, you know, in, in only three months, I, I think we've we've done a phenomenal amount. People, you know, have the impression that this thing's been around for ages, and it hasn't. And so from the start, we were inundated with uh, opportunities to do productions. And so we partnered with some South African guys. And on their recommendation, we actually we, – we're toning down what we're promising because, you know, they they convinced us pretty quickly that a lot of guys in a similar position promised the earth in terms of a 24-hour pop-up channel live for five days. Technology fails them, and then they have an epic brand fail. So the first year, we're going to put together a series of uh, mini documentaries profiling six or seven contending teams plus some character teams. And we'll have a couple of hours each day live where we cut to, and we'll build on that going forward. So there's absolutely no question we're going to be doing stuff locally. Uh, Reuters has officially said they'll put out anything that is newsworthy, and you know they've started already. But we're just being quite uh, humble around what we're promising uh, in terms of production, and we're going to build on that, you know, as time goes. What is the date for the manga? 
It starts on the 3rd of December, and you've got five days to get to Stellenbosch. The 8th of December, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, 120 hours later, is cut off. Okay. And how? <laughs> what's what's the terrain like, the topography? Um, is it is it mostly dirt roads, or has it got some um, trails involved, or um, elevation changes? So it's a couple of things. One, it's relatively flat. Now, I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek because, I mean, you know, guys think, well, how can it be mountain biking? But it's not going to have the kind of elevation that a guy who's racing Tour Divide in the time he's racing, uh, it's simply, our topography simply doesn't have that for the first four days. When you get to the final day, as you approach in the Cape Fold Mountains, you will you will hit some big mountains. But by and large, uh, it's not an elevation route. And we're also not going out there to find elevation simply for the sake of climbing. That's not the, the idea behind this. The idea behind this is a route that's not on road, you know, kind of the roots of mountain biking. There was a time when mountain biking was an all-terrain bike, and it didn't have anything to do with elevation. It simply had to do with non-paved, and that's kind of what we're looking at. So uh, the terrain is rocky. It's going to be mostly dirt. We're trying to do about – my goal is to have 20% of uh, the route off-road. In other words, combination of uh, dual track, farm track, single track, but most of it is is non-paved. And, uh, you know, I think it, it combines elements of rocky, dirt, sand. We, we're starting to post – you'll see in the last three weeks I'm posting kind of under the hashtag uh, bootleg pics. You know, before my social media guys get, I'm sending a pic here and there as I explore the route. And, and that will give guys a good overall general feel for the terrain. But if you're thinking technical, high, uh, rocky stuff like the Epic, it's not going to be that. If you're thinking elevation like the Tour Divide, it's not going to be that. This is a different race. The challenge of this race is the flat-out nature of the guys racing it, the fact that it's in summer in the Karoo, which is a semi-arid desert, so tire temperatures are going to be an issue and, of course, the terrain is going to be sapping, energy sapping. It's not just easy district dirt roads. Some of those roads are rutted. Some of them are, are, are sandy. There's a lot of cross-country bush stuff. So, yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's a tough five days. If you're racing, it's going to be the toughest. I can tell you now the guy who wins this will wake up the next morning and he will be convinced that is the toughest bike race he's ever done, partly because of the nature of what's caused him to dig so deep. Right. Now that you've ridden um, much of the course, or at least know the topography and the, the yeah. terrain of that course, what would you expect? Um, I mean, you're looking at, uh, what, 650 miles or so. What, yeah. Um, at 1,000 kilometers or a little over 1,000 kilometers. What, yeah, what do, you, what do you think it's going to take to, to win this? Oh, gosh. You know, guys are asking me to put it out there all the time. Yeah. You know what? I think – I think somewhere between 50 and 60 hours. I mean, I've heard, you know, I've heard roadies tell me that they're going to win this thing in, in 35 hours, sub 40. I can tell you now that's not going to happen. Uh, and I'll be very surprised if someone comes in under 50 hours. You know, I, I just I, I just don't think the power output, you know, 26 k's an hour is what they average on the Epic. <coughs> that's not going to happen yet because you're not racing for six hours. Yeah. You know, by the time you get to 15 hours at 26 k's an hour, your energy deficit, you have to, you, you have to recover somewhere. Otherwise, you're going to, you're going to pay that price down the line. And I think somewhere between 50 and 60 hours, somewhere between two and a half, uh, three days, you know, maybe just under three days. Well, great. Um, Alex, thank you very much for 
finally coming on, um, you know, get all those issues before, plus you're racing toward divide, trying to get you on. I'm glad to get, get you finally on, get all those questions answered, you know, yeah. better explain the race get that information out. Especially, you know, there's lots of rumors and stuff of what the race is and what the race isn't, but good to get it sure. out there. I wish you all the best. We'll definitely look forward to covering it here on mountain bike radio, especially as, uh, as we, as, as you start re- uh, releasing, uh, team names and uh, candidates for, sure. for victory and stuff like that. But thank you again for coming on the show, Mark. Listen, I really appreciate uh, you know your your effort and your and and your thought. And maybe one last for the guys. You know, this is going to be a round, and there's always something special about the first event. You know, we, we're going to make some mistakes, but we, we're trying to do something very different. And, and uh, you know, we'd love to get some of the foreign guys to experience uh, just some of the spirit of what we're doing. Because by the time you get to your second, third, fourth year, the formula is going to be largely demystified. At the moment, it's a big mystery. But I appreciate uh, your help uh, in, in assisting us with the idea, Ryan. Again, everybody, this has been Alex Harris, the race director of the Munga, here on the Last Aid Station on Mountain Bike Radio. Thanks, Alex. Pleasure, man. Cheers, Mark. And so there you have it, interview with Alex Harris from the Munga. Hopefully that will squash any false information out there, um, at least uh, for you folks that listen to the Last Aid Station. Maybe clear up some some kind of... Uh, strange information that might be out there or contradictory information. Definitely here at the last day station, we're going to be following this race as it starts in the late fall. Um, and certainly going to be following it as more riders confirm. When we did the interview, um, as you heard, we didn't, there's not a whole lot of people that he can mention at this point. Uh, but if you've been following the NUE, some of the riders that do very well there, um, you'll have noticed that um, there's at least one U.S. rider that has stated his intentions for racing that race. Don't know all the specifics. There are quite a few Europeans. I was able to speak to uh, Alex off the record, um, mentioning a couple of people, some pretty impressive guns from Europe that are going to be lining up. There's also been quite a bit of interest on the roadside. So we'll definitely be interested to see how that all unfolds. It was finally good to get the information straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak, to get kind of get some of that misinformation out of the way of what the race is, what the race isn't. Hope you guys enjoyed the interview and I'll see you on the trail soon. Looking forward to the next last aid station coming up shortly and hope you guys tune in then. Thanks for joining us.